Two years after escaping an attack on her family, Becky is attempting to rebuild her life. But when her home is broken into by a group called the Noble Men, and they take her beloved dog Diego, she returns to her old ways to protect herself. Literally a bloody good time, says the Austin Chronicle, The Wrath of Becky, starring Lulu Wilson, Sean William Scott, and our own corn-hating, poutine-loving, king-cast favorite Kate Siegel, is only in theaters May 26th. Very well done, Eric. Thank you. And I, have I am here with uh, with this uh, our regularly scheduled Fangoria house ad read. In 1979, the first issue of Fangoria was released into the world. It's been over 40 years, and they are better than ever, with each issue bringing you 100 pages of exclusive, carefully curated content honoring horror's past, present, and future. These articles and interviews will never be published online, so the only way to read them is by getting your hands on a physical, collectible copy of your own. We can't give anything away because we want the experience to be a surprise, but we can safely say that you do not want to miss a single page. So head on over to Fangoria.com to learn more, to subscribe, and while you're there, make sure to enter the promo code KINGCAST to save 25% off your annual subscription. Now, on with the show. Hi. My name is Stephen King. Well, sometimes that is better. Hello, and welcome back to the Kingcast on the Fangoria Podcast Network. My name is Eric Vespi, and I'm Scott Wampler. And we are your hosts. You'll know today's guest is the director of the bulk of Key and Peel, as well as you know, good shit like The Last Man on Earth, Jean-Claude Van Johnson, which fucking ruled, by the way, uh, the 2020 Twilight Zone reboot, Keanu, uh, and the recent The Machine, starring Burt Kreischer and Mark Hamill, the Wombo Combo you didn't know you needed until you see them together. Now he's here to tackle Stephen King's short story, The Jaunt, which could very well be the creepiest thing King has ever written. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome Peter Atencio to the KingCast stage. Welcome. Hello. How are you doing today? I'm I'm doing good, you know. I'm uh, enjoying the nice Bulgarian weather over here. <laughs> yeah, how's the food over there? I know nothing about Bulgarian. Uh, it's it's meaty. They love a good meat. They love a good cheese and potatoes. Um, nice, nice. Yeah, it's kind of the brunt of it. Seasonings are they're getting the hang of it. It's not, <laughs> not too bad. They're, they're learning, picking it up. Yeah. Um, I was looking into. I was I was looking into your shit. Uh, before we recorded this episode, yeah. so obviously I did a little a little Wikipedia tour. Yeah, and uh, have you been on your Wikipedia page lately? I have not, but I did. Okay. Someone did tell me at one point that it said I was Pakistani, and oh. uh, I thought that was hilarious. So, but no, I haven't. I have not been on there. That is, um, that is, I, I'm not seeing that reflected here. Okay, good. <laughs> but, but there is something I have to ask you about. And, you know, you're looking at a Wikipedia page, top right, it's got a picture of the person, their name, and then born, uh, like their stats, basically. Yeah. Like, almost like a little baseball card. And uh, yours says, when you were born, where you were born, occupation, TV and film director, known for, Key and Peele, comma, Keanu. And then below that, it says, notable work. The Sludge, 2019. What? And when, you, and when you click on that, it goes to the Wikipedia page for Five Nights at Freddy's. 
wow. Do you do you have any idea no. what is going on there? I have and no I, idea what is going on there. And uh, like an idiot, I thought maybe you did some, maybe a shot a commercial for Five Nights at Freddy's or something. You know, so I was like, I read the entire goddamn Wikipedia page for Five Nights at Freddy's. Waiting for like a, an answer on what the sludge is. No answer was forthcoming. I mean, I'm definitely familiar with many things that I would term as the sludge, but I have never. <laughs> uh, I can't take any credit for any projects named that, or especially Five Nights at Freddy's. But mm. I, that's <laughs> really weird. Um, the sludge yeah. sounds like the sequel to the stuff. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, I'm I, I'm I'm happy to be uh, attached to the sludge. And that's a, put that in active development right now. It was Wilford yeah. Brimley's best work outside of Cocoon. Um, you guys are you're you're on as EPs of the Sludge oh, now, so congrats, oh, congrats. Fuck yeah. yeah! Well, now we need a Wikipedia page, for, yeah. so we can display our notable work. Yeah, you guys are. Oh, in. I'm gonna I'm actually gonna list uh, Five Nights at Freddy's and just have it linked back to the Sludge. <laughs> I think I'm just you can go worm your the- way into some royalty payments there off of Five Nights at Freddy's. Play the so. See your honor. And my Wikipedia says <laughs> the Wikipedia never lies. So, you know, Vespi was you know touched on a number of these titles in the mm. in the intro. Uh, John Claude Van Johnson, which was in fact excellent. Key and Peel. Um, last Key and Peel, I've watched through like three times. I'm not even sure <laughs> what questions I would have about it. You know, it's just like it's a, a fantastic body of work. That entire series. Um, oh, thank you. And, but I did want to talk to you just a, a little bit about Last Man on Earth. Yeah. Um, which I, I think I watched like the first two seasons and then sort of life got in the way and I fell off of it. And I just recently started rewatching it. And that show is so goddamn funny. Like, mm-hmm. I, I don't know why I, I didn't stick with it. Um, what you, it's, how many episodes did you direct? Well, it's, yeah, that, that show is like a miracle. And, uh, I really so I came on board um, before there was ever actually a show, or they had sold the show, and Fox said, you know, Phil Phil Lord and Chris Miller were attached to do the pilot. They had they had EP'd the show and helped create it, um, and Fox said to them, "Hey, we need to show something at the upfronts this year. The upfronts being the you know they show the advertisers like what the upcoming fall slate looks like and the." sell a bunch of ad space. And they said, you know, normally we have a, a pilot to show, but they picked that show straight up to series. And so th- nothing existed. And so uh, they wanted them to make something to promote the show. And Phil and Chris were understandably extremely busy and were like, Hey, uh, we don't have time to do that, but um, we trust this guy, Peter Atencio. And uh, we know that he can make a great, like short version of the pilot. And it was kind of like a, it was like five or six minutes and it was like a mini episode. It was essentially will like going about his day. And it was just to like set up the idea that this guy is lives by himself in the world and no one else is alive and he can do whatever he wants. And we shot it um, this grocery store. He went grocery shopping and then he went to Dodger stadium and sang the national anthem and mm-hmm. went to an art museum and stole a, you know, a, a masterpiece. And it was like a mini episode of the show um, and that was what they they used to promote the show. And it was a really fun experience. And and those guys were super gracious. And then when the show got picked up, um, they asked me to come on and, and direct episodes. So I ended up directing uh, three episodes um, 
over the course of the first two seasons. And um, that show was just, it, it was amazing. It was an amazing group of people. And Will Forte is just not only a genius and not only like one of the funniest people you can ever meet, but also the hardest working person I've ever seen. Like he would, mm. sh- he would write the show with the writers. He would be on set all day. He'd be jumping into editorial anytime he wasn't in a scene. He'd be watching other people's scenes and giving you notes. He'd be, I mean, he was like a, a maniac. So it's really because of him that that show is what it is. That dude is legit one of the nicest people I've ever yes. met in, in yes. this business. Cause you, you meet a lot of very, I would say, uh, proper, right? Like very respectful. There's lots of respectful people in the business. That'll yes. be, that'll treat you with respect, but there's like every once in a while you'll meet a, a Will Forte or a, an Elijah Wood say, or somebody that is yes. just like, Oh, you are just genuinely a good, kind, humble person. Uh, and then when with Will, he's also fearless in in a way that I don't oh see a lot God. of. I mean, yeah. just watch any any random three minute chunk of MacGruber, and you'll oh, see just how, yeah. how mm-hmm. fearless that dude is. He doesn't give a shit. He <laughs> and, He'll do anything uh, yeah. if he thinks it's going to get a laugh, and right. he will. He, yeah, he's just completely balls out, but also will make small talk with anybody. It has no. I mean, to the point where sometimes we'd have to be like, Hey, Will, you actually have to like put up some boundaries because you can't be that nice all the time. It's actually (laughs) sleep time. Like you have to Uh be able to sleep, but I mean, he, he got an apartment like right next door to where we shot the show because it just reduced his commute so that he could work harder. And it was, yeah. And he never yelled at anyone, never lost his temper, never got frustrated. Like it was crazy. I'll tell you a quick story here. Um, I, one, I was working with Mondo and the Alamo Draft House to do like an anniversary of MacGruber screening um, here in Austin. And uh, the idea was that Mondo would do a, a print and it would be like, I think we were debating whether it was going to be a secret screening. This is back in the Justin Ishmael days, uh, to put it in perspective there for you, uh, Scott. Um, and uh, and I we somehow like got through to Will and was just like, hey, we'd love to have you come out for it. And essentially all he had to do was say yes or no, I'll, I'll do this, right? Yeah. And that turned into like, okay, guys, here's my phone number. We are going to sit and we're going to plan this out. What do I need to bring? Like, I'm all in on this. This is great. <laughs> and like, bring? and it turned into like a 45 minute like phone meeting. Uh, but I was like, you know what? I, I have the, the MacGruber book with all the, the KFBR 492. It's like, I have all the, I have that stuff. I can bring it. It's like, and, and, and it, I have so many pages in that notebook. I can just like give it, give, give away pages to, to the people in the crowd if you wanted to. And, and like, and he was just like going on and it was like, no shit, 45 minutes of him, like spitballing ideas. I'm like, dude, all you had to say is yes, I'll come out here. Like we'll do the rest. You don't have to, you don't have to worry about the rest of this stuff. And unfortunately it never came together. I don't know why it never came together because everybody was gung ho about it. And then I think he ended oh, up man. doing something similar at the new Bev minus the, the print aspect of it i think it probably got caught up there where they were we were waiting on uh universal i think had the rights or whatever and was like yeah uh had to yeah. approve you know um uh, some sort of pop culture print and they wouldn't let let him do it yeah yeah hey man that's yeah. a good story you know what my takeaway is yeah. you have will's contact information I do. And we have not have him on the show <laughs> I do. what is happening right now like, hey, and, and apparently he won't mind if I reach out and just say, hey, remember me from like nine <laughs> years ago? Uh, why don't you uh, why don't you come you on want, and talk about Stephen King? Do you like Stephen King? 
he'll be so terrified that he's offending you by saying no that he'll just say yes. That is <laughs> good to know. Perfect. So, yeah, that's how we get out. most of our guests. Yes. Yeah, good. <laughs> so let, including Peter. About, let's talk about the new movie you've got coming out, The Machine. Yes. Um, for people who aren't familiar with Bert or you know the 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 bit that he did on stage that inspired this movie, can you can you tell the audience about it? Yes, absolutely. So so Bert is Bert's kind of just an amazing person in general. There's a whole other thing about that, but this is a true story. He went on a class trip to Russia in the '90s. Uh, he was a Russian student, even though he really barely knew how to speak Russian. Um, but he was an exchange student trip and made friends with some Russian mobsters who were chaperoning his trip to kind of provide security essentially for you know, Russia in the nineties, a little sketchy. And the class went on a train trip to Russia, or, I'm sorry, to, to Moscow. And he ended up getting very, very drunk with some mobsters on the train. And they <laughs> essentially forced him to rob the train with them. And <laughs> he has turned the, the funny thing about this is I talked to Bert when we first embarked on the path of making this movie. And I was like, I want to know the real story. Like I've heard your stage version. I want to know like what was real, what really happened, what went, was going through your head and everything that he talks about on stage is what happened. What is different from what he talks about on stage is it was a really terrifying experience. He really thought at one point he thought he was going to die. And then he thought, okay, I'm not going to die. I am going to go to prison. And, and he was <laughs> terrified. And then he felt horrible that he betrayed all of these people that he was friends with that were in his class. So there was a lot more kind of emotional weight to the story when he told mm -hmm. it. Um, and, and so we kind of found a way to, to turn that into you know, just there's a little bit more of that in the movie, and it's coupled with the fact that we made a new adventure where it's him and his dad getting kidnapped and taken back to Russia to atone for some of the things that he did on that train. Um, <laughs> and so we kind of found this way. He and I really connected over our very complicated relationship with our fathers, and um, then our our brilliant writer, writer uh, Kevin Beagle, um, took that connection and, and found this great path into making it a story about fatherhood and, and your, you know, your relationship with your dad versus your relationship with your own kids. And so there's a lot of really great kind of emotional storytelling in the context of this amazing true story that happened on a train in Russia. I, I didn't know until somewhat recently that Kevin wrote the script. We we're, mm -hmm. we're friendly with Kevin. Like he's been on yeah. the show before and I had yeah. no fucking idea that he, he wrote that. So he's the best. Yet another he's reason it. to see it. Yeah, he's yeah. the best dude in the world. And he's he's an amazingly talented writer and he's just like kind and sweet and really funny and another one and, of those guys. Yeah. 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 I just I yeah. I have to say I, I feel like I must have decent taste in who I work with because I've had a great track record for working with people who are like awesome and good at what they do. And so I'm hoping that that I can ride that out for a little while longer. Uh, but Keegan Michael Key? Huge oh, total asshole. Yeah. Just the worst <laughs> monster. Basically a Nazi. Yeah, no. Uh, like, uh, the, yeah, no. Jordan and Keegan are like the two yeah. kindest and most talented human beings you could ever meet. So, yeah, it's pretty ridiculous. I want to point out that you mentioned Kevin being uh, super nice. He's also somebody who 
understands family dynamic, uh, which is why he's such a great pick to write this. Um, yeah. uh, if I don't know if anybody listening has seen a show he uh, that was he did for it would lasted one season on Fox, I believe it was called Enlisted, and it was uh, like. I, it's hard to explain. It's it's like a military base show, but he grew up a military kid, and he like it was essentially a show that he wrote about his relationship with his brothers, and he put all that into this thing, and it, it was like the the most personal thing. And so, if you ever want to know what Kevin Beagle is like as a person, watch that first season of Enlisted. It's yeah. like really good, really funny. Uh, Keith David's in it. You know, it's got it's got a Mel Rodriguez. Mel Rodriguez mm-hmm. is a, is yeah. a heavy hitter. It, yeah, it's a great show. Yeah. And, it, the the way that Kevin actually came on my radar in the first place was um, when I was looking to hire a writer on the script, I reached out to my friend, Bill Lawrence and Bill and Kevin did a show called Cougar town, which is also yep. a very good mm-hmm. uh, show in spite of its title. You're right. Um, and yeah. he recommended Kevin. And for all the reasons you said, he's just like super funny and totally understands family dynamic comedy in a great way. Mm-hmm. You've also got Mark Hamill in this movie. Yeah. Um, yeah. What's it like when Mark Hamill walks onto your set? <laughs> it's so weird because, like, that is just someone who it's so cemented in your childhood. Like, in, in right. some of my earliest memories of of just like hero worship with this guy, he's Luke fucking Skywalker. And so, like, <laughs> so many times I just had to be like, "Oh yeah, Luke Luke Skywalker is like being like, hey, can we like get this thing going? Like, let's let's get let's get moving." And I'm like. <laughs> Oh man, like this is incredible. Like Luke Skywalker, you know, so it's just like, it's a dream come true. And he is the nicest guy, but also such a good actor and like so seasoned and just knows what he's doing and, and has like complete mastery of his entire form. Like it's just, (laughs) it's crazy the shit that he does. So Mm. he brought kind of a level of is Bert being a first time actor. I think, he really benefited from having Mark there because Mark just like set a tone that Bert had to rise to. And it really made Bert's performance that much stronger. I can only imagine like there was there. Okay. So I, I was lucky enough to have gotten to spend uh, a day on the set of the last Jedi. Right. So, uh, you know, it was like a, check the check it off of the the bucket list. Right. I got to visit a star Wars set. Right. Um, uh, It was totally like, uh, off the record, like Lucasfilm didn't know I was there it was only because I've known Ryan Johnson going back to his brick days, right? That he was like, here's about 18 stacks of paperwork you have to sign <laughs> saying that you're never going, you're not never, obviously, because I'm talking about it now, but that you you won't until release talk about anything you see here. And so it's like, you know, we're, we're in the... Uh, you know, in London and walking around the back lot and like going, Oh my God, this is incredible. And I walk past a trailer and fucking Luke Skywalker's head pokes out <laughs> thinking I was like in uh, a PA coming to get him for the shot or something. And, and I was just like, Oh my God, like you just can't help but have that, that, uh, uh, that feel. So I can't only imagine like, and that was just me like fucking seeing him, uh, you know, pop a head out of a trailer like in that you're actually like no uh, mr hamill this is how i want you to say this thing you know what i mean <laughs> yeah. I, can't, I can't imagine the position that that you'd be in with somebody like that the great thing is he's he's like super humble but also aware of how in awe of him people are so he mm-hmm. like I think some people would be tempted to like use that power for evil but he's like <laughs> he just knows he makes everybody's day 
by like smiling at them and being like, Hey, nice to meet you. Exactly. And so, you know, he's just like everything you would want him to be. And there's, you know, a point where he's like, Hey, you know, like if you guys want to like take a picture with me, like it's totally cool. Like he just, he's very generous in that way. And so it's, it's really amazing. I'm glad that guy's still working, you know, but like he could have taken the money and run, you know, be living. Yeah somewhere very quiet and just you know but that he's still out there working i think is really fucking cool and that he's he, such a great actor you know besides all the iconography associated with him you know totally it, 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 he loves it and he he loves doing it and to his credit he's still trying to like stretch his muscles like you know he he was very upfront when he came on board he's like i don't quite understand every joke in this thing but my kids tell me it's funny i really like Keen peel I trust him. And he was just like on board. Like so there were times where I'm like, Hey Mark, you're going to like hold up a dude's nutsack. That's been sliced off. Um, <laughs> it's a dream sequence. Also it's early in the movie, not a spoiler, but um, you know, and he's like, this is disgusting, but I'm going to do it. Cause I trust you. And so he's just like, he's just willing to, he's just down. And it's like, you, what more can you ask for from like, a guy who, you know, who's done it all. Come on, Mark. You played a character called Fart Knocker for Kevin Smith. You can hold up a ball sack. <laughs> he got he got real comfortable with the ball sack real fast. So that's, yeah. took a minute. That, that, but... That's one thing I know about Mark Hamill. <laughs> Always quick with the sack. Always quick on the sack. So I, I suppose we should get your Stephen King origin story while you're here. Well, tell us about that. Yeah. So I, growing up, I was the kid who like every summer and pretty much any time I could, when it wasn't summer, I was at the library reading and like, I just devoured books. I, I loved reading books and I remember, so the actual first time I was like aware of Stephen King was actually at a video store walking down an aisle And I saw, God, I don't even remember what VHS cover it was, but there was a cover of a movie and it, it scared me. I was probably like 10 years old and -hmm. just like the image on the, on the VHS cover scared me. And it said based on a book by Stephen King. And I was like, Oh, okay. So this guy like writes books that are like scary. And so then I went to the library. The next time I was at the library and I went in the fiction section and I was like, I got to look at this guy, Stephen King. And I started looking at his book covers and again i was like scared of the art on the book (laughs) covers and i was like fuck this is like really like i don't know it was like intense so i didn't (laughs) read it right away i kept like going back to the stephen king section at the library and like trying to work up the nerve to read one of his books because i was just like i thought i would be terrified and then finally you know i was probably sometime like the summer of being like 10 or 11 I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to like read a Stephen King book. And uh, I actually read Skeleton Crew was the first one I read. And so many of the stories made such an impact on me. Like it just was this visceral. I would go to bed. I would read at night and I would read in my room and I would read until I got too scared to keep going. And then I would close the book and I would work up my nerve. And the next day during the daytime, I would start reading again. And then it would get to be night and I'd be alone in my room and I'd get too scared. And so I just had that relationship <laughs> with his stuff where I would I would read it. And it was like so few other authors gave me like the willies in that specific way where it was like 
you could just empathize with the people in the story or what was going on. And it was just like gnawing existential horror that I kind of got addicted to. It really was like my entry into like thrillers and, and horror in, in terms of mm-hmm. novels. And I just couldn't get enough at that point. I just devoured it. Yeah. The, the skeleton crew is a great entryway into, yeah. into King. Like we get asked a lot, like where, where do I start reading King or what would you suggest? Like handing to my 13 year old, you know, son or daughter, you know, if they, if they're interested. Yeah. Um, and I think that we pretty quickly kind of came to the conclusion. It should be a short story collection. That's the way you dip your toe in. Right. Yeah. It's not a huge commitment. You like one story. You don't like another. It's over in 10 pages. Right. Um, and it's got a uh, little bit of everything. It's like there's like scary yeah. stuff, but there's also like sci-fi, and then there's like Meaningful. a couple just like weird off, you know, like kind of almost Twilight Zone style tales, and so right. it's just like totally. a, little, a little grab bag in an interesting way. Yeah, and one of I the think Skeleton Crew might be the best uh, of those of those books. Like thinking yeah. about it, because it's got the mist, it's got the jaunt, yeah. the raft, the reach, lots of things that start with the in it. I guess. Miss, miss, but also like Miss Todd's shortcut, I think it's called. Right. Like the, the, there's just some like that are just, yeah, just interesting. Like, oh, that's in there too. Okay, yeah. cool. And you have, you have chosen one of the stories from, from this collection. One of the few, one of the few King titles uh, that doesn't have an adaptation yet. They keep threatening that they're going to do something with it <laughs> and then not, and not uh, a- getting anywhere with it. Um, but um I don't think we need to talk through the plot of the jaunt. Like, like we don't need to do a synopsis, do we, Eric? Yes. Yeah. I, I think at this point, everybody probably knows about it because we talk. It's like the jaunt revival are ones that we, we will jump in, uh, jump at uh, uh, talking about no matter what else the we're supposed to be talking about. You know what the topic actually is. You'll hear us talk about that. And I guess Crouch End gets in there, too. Yeah. Where we're really like talking about Stand By Me. And it's like, yeah, but what about the fucking end of the jaunt? You know, it's like, <laughs> you know, that, yeah. that's, that's kind of kind of what we do do here. So, yeah, I think you're right. I think we're pretty much covered. The The short, short version is that it's a future where teleportation's real. Um, but if you're awake when you do it, you have a really bad time. So, <laughs> yeah. yeah. What yeah. was your, given that this was your first uh, King collection that you read, your first King period, um, what was your reaction to this particular story? Do you remember? Y- yeah. Uh, it felt. <laughs> it sounds like, <laughs> sounds like a fun memory. Well, it, it, it's one of those things that he does so well where there's just enough details that it feels really real. And like, it almost reads like it's, he's describing something that has happened. Like you're just kind of yeah. like, Oh yeah, this guy invented teleportation in his barn and, you know, was sending, it just feels very kind of clinical and he's dropping perfect little hints that there's something more that's going to come out of this. And there's something darker coming, but then you just, there's no way to get ready for that ending. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it just like, I just remember mm-hmm. like the chills that it sent up my spine, uh, imagining that scenario, imagining, you know, being the kid in that eternity of nothingness and like what that would feel like. And then I have to say like, you know, the, the reaction of the father is like super visceral and real and, and horrifying. And I remember feeling that when I was a kid rereading it as a parent. Now it like that hits me on a whole different level. Mm. Like it's, it's really deeply fucked up. (laughs) It's, it's really something. So yeah, no, it's like 
dark. I mean, yeah. King in this era, when he's writing about trauma to kids, like there's something authentic about it. And it's something that we've talked about, you know, I think and discovered over the years of doing the show is that, you know, he has said that like in the thing that actually scares him, like in real life is was something happening to his kids, like walking into his room and find or their bedrooms yeah. and finding them dead in the bed. Right. And this one was first published in 1981 in an issue of the twilight zone magazine. So we're talking about like his kids being, you know, what, seven, eight, six, seven, eight, nine, 10 ish, yeah. you know, yeah. in that, that range. Uh, so anything in this era, you know, pet cemetery, you know, uh, fucking Cujo, like anything where there's trauma to kids, uh, you know, that ends up being like, I think the most, um, I don't know, real insight into what actually scares King. And you can read it on the page. There's something yeah. about how he writes it where you can, it's different from any other trauma that happens. It even, you know, it's like there's, yeah. there, there's something different about it. And it's not just because kids are the ones, you know, getting hurt. It's there. There's something that is like deeply, uh, meaningful and you know innate in King that that when he writes about this stuff happening that it just crosses some imaginary line some invisible line I don't know what it is but like when you get to that section in the jaunt from the moment the dad wakes up and hears yeah. the screaming of the stewardesses oh. yeah. you know and and then sees his son who is described as being both old and young at the same time. And, you know, the, as he's clawing his eyes out and telling his dad that like, it's longer than you think in there, you know, it's like, there's just something in there. Like you said, it, it makes your skin crawl in a way that, you know, Cujo eating, eating the sheriff or something doesn't, you know, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, there's just something different about the way he writes this stuff. He I also, think that, he, sorry, he, he also drops in the clawing your, his eyes out thing. So, like, it's already horrifying. His hair is white. His eyes are ancient. All of this, he, <laughs> it's longer yeah. than you think. And then he's like, the creature begins clawing out its own eyes and blood pours. You know, you're just like, oh, yeah. fuck. Like, it yeah. just punches you. I think there may be something in all of this about how terrifying the concept of eternity is or yeah. infinity. Yeah. You know, it's not and maybe we've talked about this in the show before. I don't, I don't think we have, but like to me, like I'll see headlines sometimes where they're talking about like this new drug could let you live to be 130 years old. And I'm like, fuck off. Like absolutely <laughs> fuck off with this. Are you kidding me? Like I'm, I'm ready to wrap it up now. I'm like in my forties, man. Like I've, I've seen and done plenty of things. Like I'm just fucking tired. 130. You know, and so the idea of anything that is infinite, I think that, you know, if you're like me, that's scary to begin with. The idea that you might be like in stasis for, you know, eternity, you know, yeah. what, what, what worse fate could there possibly be, you know, and also the fact that concepts like eternity or um, infinity are also like abstract concepts yes yeah. right like yeah. it's hard to really wrap like you can say oh infinity's forever and say like you know you know that on an analytical level but like no one ever experiences infinity it's it's a really heady concept um yeah that i'm you know fucking around with here but i i think that that's sort of part of the the power of of that ending yeah, true. it's an it's an existential horror in the true sense of the word, and yeah, you you can't comprehend what that would be like. I'm I'm a very introverted person. I I relish time spent alone, 
but mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's just, you, you can't imagine what would become of the mind in that situation. And then to, to see it through the eyes of, of a parent witnessing that in their own child is just <sighs> rough. I think I would I, go crazy very quickly. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't, I don't, I would not respond. Well, I fucking, I barely made it through the goddamn uh, lockup during yeah. the pandemic. Yeah, you we know, all went through our own like little like version of the jaunt. No that, shit. That period, yeah, it's true. Oh, I was just climbing the wall. You well, you say you're an introvert. Did you? Was it? I mean, it was bad for everyone. It was baseline <laughs> bad for everybody. But did you find that maybe you had an easier time with it than others uh, because of that? You know, well, I I have a, a wife and a son, so that certainly helps a lot. But I, my wife and I got addicted this is so weird i I play video games i you know enjoy Mm -hmm. video games and stuff but we both got like kind of like unhealthily addicted to call of duty uh as a a couple my brother was like in colorado and he's like hey do you want to get on and play some call of duty since we're all doing nothing and i was like yeah Yeah. sure fuck it i'll I'll buy call of duty and did and then my wife is like what are you doing i was like i'm playing call of duty with my brother and his friends and she was like can i play and i was like yeah sure and then we got like hardcore we'd put our son to bed and be like shall we and then it would be like <laughs> 1 30 in the morning and we've like had like half a bottle of whiskey and we're playing call of duty and it's like well, i guess we better go to bed he's gonna be up in five hours and it was like i guess we just that was shall what we needed i guess and then like you know after like six months of call of duty we were like Oh, maybe we should, maybe we should get like our lives together and do something else. The it was there is more weird. to life than than poning noobs. I, yeah, I have not touched Call of Duty since we like quit like cold turkey, and then I never looked back, and I have not touched it since. Uh, it's that's the way to do weird. it. I'm going through that right now with the new Zelda. It's like, oh yeah, my, my time uh, is yeah. very. Very I can't precious, touch it because I know it'll. I'm I'm in prep. I have no time for it, and I know right. that if I like dip my toe in, I'm gonna just like say fuck off to work, and that's gonna go real badly for me. So yeah, it, yeah, it's a. They're having a goddamn field day in that game. Oh man, it's <laughs> it's just like it's such a great little sandbox. Anyway, oh, yeah, it's uh, yeah. yeah. I'm, I see, and I I'm see sure people I'm make play. like weird like penis monsters and blimps and stuff yeah. and i'm just like oh fuck man yeah, i want to do can. that i want to do yeah. that so bad yeah no. and all those controls like with how you build shit is really intuitive you know um in intuitive in a way that you can pick it up pretty or i didn't have a problem with it and i've had problems with that kind of shit in other games like when fallout 4 came out and there was like the whole building a shelter thing like i couldn't do that to save my fucking life <laughs> And so I think it like makes you do it once in the game to like teach you how to do it. And then you're supposed to like, I never fucked with it again after that. This thing, it's like, I can't keep my hands off of it. Uh, Anyway, we're off topic, but uh, it's on topic. If Rick, if Ricky had uh, had Zelda, then he he would have come out of the other end of the jaunt just fine. Totally chill, (laughs) normal colored hair and no, you know, both eyes. Yeah. 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 Keeping the eyes. Uh, so the, there's two parts of the jaunt to talk about. There's, I mean, the, the gut punch ending, which we jumped immediately to, because that <laughs> that is the thing that like everybody who fucking read this book when they were 12 years old, you know that that's the thing that that always stands out. And 
Uh, it scared me more than any, like scared me more than the shining scared me more than anything was, was that last half page of that story. But then you have the other aspect of it, which is, you know, uh, the dad telling the story of how the, the teleportation stuff was invented. That's when it gets in a little bit more like traditional sci-fi bullshitty kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. It's really, it's done really well. It's not like, Oh my God, you know, this is you can get to the, the point, you know, Steve, it's not one of those things, but it's uh, what I love about it is that he is Stephen King tackling that kind of twilight zone magazine shit, right? The, uh, you know, the sci-fi aspect of it, but he does it in the most Stephen King way possible by having a dad telling the story and you know, he's fucking up details and he's getting shit wrong. And, you know, like any dad, you know, sitting at an airport trying to explain how the fucking plane works to their kid. They're not going to know exactly how it works. Right. But there's also the, the, that, uh, a part of them telling the story where he's like omitting the darker aspects in the same way that you would omit like, Oh yeah. And just last week there was a story in the newspaper about uh, a mechanic falling into the engine of a 747. It's like, and what happened to that guy? You know, it's like, I, I don't know. I just, I, I thought that it was really smart. And every time I revisit the story, like it just strikes me of like King is like in that era of firing on all cylinders where even this thing, yeah this part of the story, which should be really boring um, is, is something you can't, it's a page turner, something you mm-hmm. can't look away from. And like, as you get the little glimpses of, of, of the history of how the teleportation is done. And it's like, starts with inanimate objects, his fingers. And then what happens when the mice go through and then the, the, the death row inmates go through. It's like it, there, there's an escalation that, that he like builds into the narrative here that, is extremely smart that I wouldn't have picked up on as a kid. I just read it and go, this is a good story. But like as somebody who tells stories for a living, is that something that you pick up on? Like when you think back on it or, or reread it is like just how well all the building blocks are put into place. Totally. He, he teases out such great, he, he'll, he'll throw in like a little, like one line that just gives you enough intrigue that you're like, chomping at the bit to find out what's going to come. And then he knows how to give you like the colorful details that make it feel really rich and real. And, you know, right. he kind of name checks other authors and stuff, but like it's those little moments where he like, he's like, Oh, I better make them feel comfortable. Uh, <laughs> you know, but, but I don't want to tell them everything. And like the focus on the mice and the daughter who keeps asking like, but I want to know what happened to the mice. And like, the way he sets up the son being very inquisitive and kind of this little daredevil who like takes risks. It just, it's just so masterful and he makes it, I feel like his writing always makes it seem easy, which I think is why so many people kind of like take him for granted. Oh, for sure. It's really efficient storytelling and it's every line is either setting up something that's going to come or giving you a little teaser of something to just keep you intrigued. And then he knows when to like speed it up. As soon as the thing's invented, he's like, Oh, the government came in and took it over. And then, you know, that guy, he like casually mentions that that guy may have been replaced by like a body double or something. At one point. Uh, right. that th- a little so QAnon just, in there. A little Q-anon. Yeah. Just like it gets into this, like all of a sudden it ramps up and then, you know, next thing you know, his fucking son's clawing his eyes out. Right. Well, you Mars also get Trump. like, like this like tapestry of 
what the world would look like and how people would mm-hmm. abuse this technology. You get yeah. that that little mention of how like the the mob. Would <laughs> yeah, use. that's right. The mobs oh, like so getting how, rid how, of bodies. And, right. Yeah, so yeah. how would Bert Kreischer use the jaunt? That that's my question to you. <laughs> he, would, <laughs> he would use it to get rid of his shirts. I think. Is yeah, he would definitely <laughs> like use it to party in every time zone exactly at <laughs> proper drinking hour and just keep cycling around the world nonstop drinking. <laughs> that would definitely be the way. That world building that you're that you're talking about, Vespi, is like something that <clears throat> didn't really leap out to me until the last time uh, we covered this on the show. Right. And I, I, like, I kind of felt like I know that story forwards and backwards. I don't need to read it again. And then on that occasion, I actually sat down and read it and had forgotten all those little details. Right. And you know, I mentioned before that you know uh, someone has you know, announce plans to do something with the jaunt, like as a, a film or a TV show in the past. <clears throat> Last I heard RLJE has the rights to it. And they were, they were saying they were going to turn it into a series. Um, how, first of all, do you think that the jaunt could work as a movie or TV show? And, and what would your approach be to the material if you were going to adapt it? Yeah, I I think it would make a really good movie. I have no idea how it works as a TV show. Like, uh, you know, maybe you're just using it as a jumping off point and it's about like teleportation or something. I don't know. But like as a movie, to me, the the thing that's kind of working against it is, I guess, and maybe it just feels this way to me, but like how ubiquitous it feels like it is. It's a very famous short story. Most people know the ending. It's an iconic ending. So it's like if you could just brain white people and like tell this story <laughs> and like go into every detail and expand the sort of like make it about the invention of of um, teleportation and use the dad telling his kids this as a framing device, you could totally make it a really intriguing story about how this guy invented teleportation, how that changed society the ways in which it became, you know, all of that stuff is just such rich story and very kind of like traditional and yet really engrossing like science fiction. And then you have this framing device that is just setting you up for like, what could be the most brutal movie ending of all time? Like it would test, it'd be the worst testing movie of all time, but also it would be an instantaneous classic. Cause everyone would be like, Oh my God, that fucking ending. Like what the hell? So like yeah, that would be a, a dream adaptation. A series? No idea. No it occurs idea. to me that there's a lot of parallels between the jaunt and the prestige. Um yeah. where it's bo- both are like tackling uh you know, new tech and you know, tech that doesn't really exist, but like you I could see somebody doing a prestigious version of the jaunt in that format where it's like the slow slow build and i don't think people on the whole i think know the ending as much as you think it's not it's not a sixth sense situation where i think people who haven't seen that and already know the twist of that movie but i think that this one amongst king fans amongst readers maybe amongst really hardcore horror people they might know the ending yeah. uh, definitely amongst king cast listeners because we spoil it all the fucking time but um <laughs> Uh, but I think that you could get away with general audiences being tricked by that. And I, I wonder if that's kind of the the secret sauce, if anybody ever did this for real and made it a movie, um, is is laying out 
laying it out like a magic trick, like like Nolan did with the Prestige, and and because that that ending is really fucked up too, and existentially <laughs> fucked up too. You yeah, know? it's like so it's you know I don't know I like the the I never really drew the parallel before or saw the parallel before, but I think that that's it's odd that that's now striking me because as you were describing it, like instantly in my mind, I was just seeing Hugh Jackman drowning in a fucking vat <laughs> of water. You know, I was just like, man, you know, it worked there and, and audiences seem to like that one. Like maybe that's the, the, you just need to make it a triple a experience, get, find your Nolan to make it and, and, you know, cast a listers in it. You know? There, there is also like kind of the, uh, like bad and yet possibly good like studio version where it's basically the same story as it exists, but it's the first act of a movie where uh, the dad like finds a way to go inside the jaunt and rescue his son's psyche from the eternal. Oh no, no. You know, and then it's like, yeah. you know, he's like off on an adventure in jaunt land and then, you know, it's wizard of us. There you go. So <laughs> one, one thing I can imagine a studio having pushback on, um, besides or having the do- child clawing yeah, out his besides eyes. Besides that, yeah, yeah besides yeah, that, yeah. and um, you know, uh, is that like the story isn't scary until the very end, right? Yeah, right. Like, and if you're gonna build a, you know, if you're gonna adapt it into a feature film and it's say from the mind of Stephen King, um. I can imagine audiences who are unfamiliar with the material being like, when does this get fucking, this guy's just fucking around with mice. Like when is, <laughs> right. is there a ghoul in this or a ghost of some sort? Like when are we a haunted car perhaps? Yeah. And I, and I, what I can really imagine is, you know, kind of what, what Peter's saying here, like a version of it where they try to slip in like jump scares or something <laughs> yeah. every yeah. 15 minutes. And you know, it just being really atrocious. I yeah, don't know. Maybe he, it's he better opens up a, a portal to hell, and so, you know, yeah. Mm. But it, it it's kind of like it, it is. The, it would be the perfect Twilight Zone episode. Oh you yeah, know? that's kind of it's what I like, was thinking. Like if if you know, obviously you know Jordan and you you know didn't get to tackle a second season of Twilight Zone, but like that to me is the ideal one where you have a sixty minute you know thing where yeah. you can bring in. Like, I don't know, just really have fun with it and really like go hard with it at the end, because, you know, that uh, the great Twilight Zones almost always have a gut punch at the end. Right. That's, yeah. Oh, yeah. You know, uh, all yeah. the ones you remember have have the you know, it's really bad for the protagonist at the end. There's something fucked up that happens at the end. Um, and yeah. So in the fact that it started in the Twilight Zone magazine, like, honestly, that would have been my ideal if, if there if there was ever, you know, Jordan yeah. in, uh, uh can ever get a second season off the ground like that's that, that would be what i would like fucking petition king get the rights back from whoever the fuck has it now that's just sitting on it not doing a damn thing with it you know just do it as a 60 minute you know just fucking great twilight zone episode yeah, i think there are two seasons of twilight zone aren't there there, there are yeah there are, oh, there are two yeah, seasons but that's but you know the next one I mean. the yeah the the outer limits reboot that is forthcoming i'm sure yes Maybe Guillermo del Toro will take it for another season of Cabinet of Curiosities. Oh my yeah. god! Yeah, you know, dude. put Why fucking not? what's his name, um, Panos Cosmatos. Yeah, Panos Cosmatos version of that. Yeah, oh, that's perfect. That that epi- his fucking... episode of Cabinet of Curiosities was mwah, that. Oh was my god! Beautiful. Oh, Peter Weller is. It was just yeah. That was that was good shit. Another uh, friend of the show there, Steve Ag in that episode. Oh yeah. 
I love AG. He's so good in that episode too. And AG is one of those people, uh, also like, you know, the Beagles and I swear that we, there are some assholes in the business and, but we just don't deal with them, but he's just like the nicest dude in the world. And he knows everybody like there's you, you name like an obscure seventies rocker. He's friends with Steve AG. Like it's (laughs) like some, some, uh, some punk band, you know, leader that only, you know, played one show in 1979 in New York, like his friends with Steve Agee. Like oh, yeah. he knows when everybody. I, when I first met Steve, he was living in like Danny Elfman's guest house. <laughs> yeah. like, just randomly. I was like, Oh, you, who, where do you live? He's like, ah, I live at Danny Elfman's guest house. I was like, wow, you're really cool. Yeah. yeah. Uh, most of us will never get to say that. I mean, come on. That we live in Danny Elfman's guest house. I'd be happy with um, anybody's guest house, frankly. Yeah, no <laughs> shit. Cool thing to say. So if you were given a blank check to make any Stephen King adaptation you wanted, and assume here that there's no red tape on rights issues or any of that bullshit, mm. um, would it be The Jaunt, or would you go with another title? And if so, it, which one? It wouldn't be The Jaunt, um, because I don't know how to make it into a movie. But... Uh, I would love this pains me a little bit because I don't like speaking ill of, of anyone or anything, but I really always wanted to, the dream for me from when I first read the collection of short stories was to make the mist. And mm-hmm. I was not the biggest fan of the adaptation that was made. Um, and, and to me, that is one where I think that is an amazing setup as like the first act or first half of a movie mm. that then goes on. So I, I would just like love a, a swing at the mist, but I, mm. I know that that's hard in a world where it's been done and also what, has a good gut punch ending. Was it the ending? Was that what you were not keen I, on? I didn't, I didn't love the ending. Um, I, I didn't, there was, there was just tonal choices in it that weren't quite for me. Um, that mm-hmm. I think that that's like a, it's a dynamic that is very tricky to nail. Like the, I'm talking specifically about like everyone in the grocery store and kind of the way right. that it all unfolds. And um, mm-hmm. I just, I didn't, didn't quite land for me, but it's such an amazing story. And like reading it is such a, that's another one that's like such a visceral experience. You're really along for all those people. You see like the way that it breaks down, the horror of the moments. And um, yeah, that's one that I've kind of always secretly wanted to do. Yeah. I love the mist, but it's, and I love Darebont's version of it, but there was a, a, you know, a struggle with within me because the one I wanted to see was, was the Frank Darebont of Shawshank and, uh, the green mile, like doing his, what he would call the, his Kubrickian version, you know, where it's, he has the time and the money and it's all like dolly shots and, you know, you know, where it's all very polished and, and done it's B movie done in a prestigious way. Right. That's kind of like when the dream of Frank Darabont doing that, that was what's in your mind. Now, obviously he had to make aesthetic choices for budgetary reasons. Um, in order to preserve the ending that, that he loves. And I, and I love that ending. Um, and, and I understand why it turns people off. Uh, but you know, for the way he was shooting that, maybe that ending wouldn't work if it, we did get the prestigious version of it, then it mm. would make it way more, 
um, I don't know, likely to end the way the short story does where there's like that little bit of hope, you know? And yeah. Uh, and and yeah. I, I like bleak endings. And I think for me, like it, I didn't, I wanted to like the ending cause I do respect anything that like takes that swing and goes for it. And like, right. again, you know, just sets itself up to be an incredibly difficult movie to test uh, and, and release. <laughs> but, uh, but I, yeah, it, it didn't quite earn it for me, I guess with like the way that the characters were portrayed and I don't know, it just like, it mm. didn't. and maybe that's a good thing. Like I like being challenged. I like when I, leave a movie and i'm like oh i'm really wrestling with this one and i was <laughs> right. definitely wrestling with that one so you know what might be a good fit for you uh if you were going to adapt something would be needful things you know i've been yeah. beating this drum ever since we've do, been doing the show that needful things is intended to be a dark comedy and i really and i truly believe there's like this version of needful things to be made that's sort of like mocking small town politics and Americana and all that while also delivering, you know, the story about the devil coming to town and selling people their greatest wishes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And, and whoever, someone will come along and do that at some point, but it's, it really needs to be somebody that's got like, you want, you want someone who's got experience with horror and comedy writing it. And then you want someone directing it that absolutely knows how to shoot comedy, you know? And, yeah, you would fit that bill. No, I would be totally into that. I, I mean, it's also what he does so well of just kind of like the real darkness is 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 in humanity, is in like the darkness of men's souls, and like that's that's a great entry point into that. Yeah, all the all the machinations in that book of like all the people being played off each other. It's just yeah. it seemed like looking at it on paper, for lack of a better term, um, all I see is like the opportunity for some really darkly funny shit. Like who, who plays Leland Gaunt in that, in, in the, uh, who's the dude casting? Fuck. It's like, we, we've talked about that before. I, I, I think that you want, okay. So you need to break down. Okay. What does Leland Gaunt need? He needs to have the charisma. He needs to be able to draw you in. And he also needs to have that like playful mischievous mm-hmm. impishness to him when mm-hmm. he's acting good and also revealed, you know, his true form. He needs to be playful. I'm thinking like, you really want somebody like Tom Cruise. You want somebody <laughs> who can like really just relish that. Cause it, you know, uh-huh. I don't know. I look at the funny as playing less Grossman and combine that with, with, um, uh, with like his Magnolia character, you know, yeah, it's just yeah, like yeah. you find the, whatever is in between those two characters and you have like just this great threatening, pl- but playful Leland Gaunt, you know, <laughs> I like that, that is an yeah. that is an idea. I I was thinking, <laughs> uh, I was thinking very, very polite pa- Pacino, um, <laughs> but probably I'm thinking that because of the Devil's Advocate. Devil's Advocate. Yeah, I feel like right. yeah, yeah. That, I feel like you're just, just remembering the Devil's Advocate. Yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. what it, what it should have been. Yeah, I was thinking up. like like James Cromwell, like maybe mm. James Cromwell, like ten years ago. Maybe he's a little a little aged now, but somebody who's like can be warm, mm. but also might kill you yeah eat, eat you max, max von Sydow was uh fine in the movie i think but like was missing that that mischievous element that yeah. that Vespi yeah. is talking about he's, he's just scary yeah you get a you get he's a character having fun actor with it. in there huh? he's having fun with it but yeah 
yeah, it's just, it's not, there's a, there's an inherent goofiness to that story that yeah. just is not in the movie. The movie is just straight faced fucking, I don't know, you know, this three hour cut is coming out soon and I've never seen it. Turns it's out it's a three on hour cut. Yeah. Three hour cut. Yeah. Um, oh, wow. It's fucking and, weird. And I've heard, I've heard that it greatly improves the movie. Um, it's on YouTube right now, but like, um, I think shout factory or maybe vinegar syndrome, like one of those places is doing a, uh, Oh wow. Like a 4k version of it. And it's got the regular version and then on a 4k disc. And then it's got on Blu-ray, the three hour cut, which I, I guess was assembled like for television for yeah, TNT. TV. This is really TV weird. Or foreign, foreign cut, something like that. Yeah. TNT yeah. Foreign TV. Three hour cut. They were like, you know what? Fuck it. Give us a three hour cut. Yeah. I don't well, get it. The, well, I think that, that, that way they could break it up and make it like a, um, sell right. it like as a limited event. series event or yeah, whatever. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. It's like a there's a six hour cut of thinner out there. <laughs> fuck that. <laughs> I would never get. Oh, I don't fuck that. with. I don't fuck with thinner at all. Now. Thinner is horrible. Oh my god, it's so, <laughs> so it's, bad. Um, it's like, yeah, you know, we're way off topic from the jaunt, but I think we've, <laughs> yeah. we we said what we had to say about the jaunt. We're still on topic because it's Stephen King. No one complained. <laughs> Um, <laughs> what were, wait? What were we just? What were we just drifting I'm into? About how bad thinner thinner was. Thinner is. It was one of. Um, I saw it when it came out, like in the theater. I was in high yeah, school. So did I. So did I. And I don't remember really feeling one way or another about it. And then when we started doing the show, um, someone came on. I believe it was Dave Schilling came on, and he picked thinner because that was like a. Uh, a movie that was like uh, a big deal between him and his brother. And they used to quote the theme. I curse you. <laughs> quote that shit all the time. And um, that viewing was the first time I think I had seen it since release. And I was, I was fucking bewildered by how unpleasant that movie is to look at. Like yeah. almost yeah, yeah. every frame of it just looks like, I don't know. It looks like it's diseased or something. Like, you know, <laughs> it is, it is cursed. It is. It, it really is. It <laughs> really Jiminy is. Glick, like fat suit that they got <laughs> yeah. him in at the top. It's so weird. And it's just so uncomfortable when he's getting a blowjob from his wife in the car. Yeah. It's just, mm-hmm. it's like revolting. It really is. Looks like yeah, and clay the, face. And yeah. the suit isn't like, there's, yeah. no, there's no give to it. You know no. what I'm saying? It's not like yeah. smushy. So it's like, it looks like he's wearing like a fiberglass shell around half the time. Just, oh God. Ugh. Yeah. No, they'll never make, they'll never do thinner again. I don't think. No, no, no. That killed it. That, that killed it. <laughs> well, not only that, but I, I don't know, like th- I can imagine thinner facing a lot of, a lot of problems today. From, oh yeah. 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 You know, a, from the Twitter verse. Not a body positive movie. I would no, say. no. Yeah. The no, discourse no. would be on fire yeah. for thinner. <laughs> You'd have to radically change because I mean I think the reason why people would get upset is because that dude is such a disgusting fat slob guy, you know, archetype at the yeah. at the top of it, and yeah. he's just a, a shitty human being, just like yeah, through and through. And you're asked to you're asked to root for him to come out on the other end, and you just don't. You just don't. He's a, yeah, this yeah. is why awful. I didn't see the whale. <laughs> 
I have not seen it either. I haven't either. I'm just, I'm just joking. But yeah, (laughs) notorious asshole Brendan Fraser. Just, I'm just taking a wild shot at the the whale for no reason. Yeah, it had (laughs) it coming. And not only that, but also the stuff with all the Romani people in the movie. Like you're not, they're not doing that. Like Twitter can, Twitter, Twitter and Thinner can stay dead. Frankly, (laughs) (laughs) they belong dead. Um. So I have one more uh, jaunt topic that I want to discuss, and that yes. is, do you guys have any interest in, if teleportation was a real thing, any interest in what is actually happening in this thing where they're going to Mars for like two years? Do you have any interest in in going to other planets to like colonize or hang out in? Uh, I personally could give less of a shit to ever visit mars but like the idea of like going to space is fun to me like if we get to the point where we can just go and take like a you know that that's just what air travel becomes you know kind of you know upper orbit or lower orbit whatever the fuck um you know upper atmosphere you know going to space zero gravity Mm -hmm. that would be fun to me but i don't I don't want to go to because you're not going to go to to Mars and have fun. You're going to go and you'll be, st- you know, in a, a fucking, you know, metal room or something that's, the, you know, it's like you're you, you, there. There is no fun hanging out on other planets because it kills you instantly. You know, I the, just I just, I, I just want to point out that if you're flying to Mars, you know, if you're traveling through space like you're talking about, right, you're just going to be in a metal cylinder rocketing through space. Which I would, but you have a window, and you have zero zero gravity. (laughs) I'm just saying, like the 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 lack of windows is really the big bump for you on the Mars. I love a view. I love a good view. (laughs) I would teleport to Mars, but I wouldn't want to travel through space. So I'm like the exact opposite of you. Yeah, space is where. Yeah, I feel like if teleporting is an option, like I'm just gonna do it to be like, yeah, I fucking went to Mars, and then I came back, and like, yeah, no big deal. Just checked out Mars. Like Inter- gonna, I mean, check it off the list. I'm going to be like, yeah. I want to be clear. Not? I wouldn't want to like fly to Mars, you know, because that's a long fucking time, right? But I, I'm, I don't mind. Te- I'm not scared of the teleportation part of it. I just don't like cool. And now I'm in Mars, and I can't do anything here. It's like I, I just don't. I like know, this I don't world. Know. This this world where they have they've cracked teleportation, <laughs> but like. They haven't figured out a way to make Mars fun and appealing in any way. They're just like, uh, we, we got there, but uh, there's really not much to do there. It's just, yeah. it's just a room. And also, that's, that's also, anything they could put on Mars is just anything that we would have here. Right. You know, really, the reason to visit is to go look at Mars. Yeah. Yeah, there right. it is. It's yeah. red and dusty and it's, cold. It's like Catalina Island. Like, you go yeah. for a day, and you, you get it, and then you, you take the ferry back. Like, yeah, I it. would I would use the fuck out of teleportation to get <laughs> around around Earth. Like, hell yeah. The, the idea of fucking, yeah, just knock me out, and then I wake up, and I, you know, I'm in Rome or something, and I have a fucking amazing pasta dish. Knock me out, and I come right back home, and I'm sleeping <laughs> in my bed that night. It's like, fuck yeah. Yeah, count me in. But, uh, like the, the whole, I mean, listen, there's the exploratory angle, but you, I don't know, part of the joy or the appeal to me of, of, you know, the Star Trekiness of you know, exploring the, the reaches of, of our galaxy and stuff is the journey. It's not, 
you know, it's not like going and standing again, like in a fucking space lock. I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, There's- it does take, I mean, everything just becomes like a commodified tourist nightmare in a world where there's no sacrifice in getting there. So it, it, right. it probably would suck really quickly. Imagine the bureaucratic nightmare of like trying to, trying to regulate teleportation technology, oh, you know, like, yeah. no. you know, That's... suddenly like there's some, I don't know, fucking giant concert happening somewhere on the other side of the world. And like everyone jaunts over there to fucking catch the show <laughs> And suddenly an influx of like 20,000 people hit some like Brighton Beach fucking, you know, without warning. They would have to the the strings that would be attached to it would be so fucking tightly drawn, I think, that. Yeah, I mean, you know. yeah, you're, you're talking a complete rearrangement of the, the bounds of society. It's just right. uh, it fucks everything up. Yeah. You gotta start over. We're starting over with teleportation. No more it's driving definitely- to work. No more, you know, all that shit. <laughs> But also you get way more used to just getting knocked out mm-hmm. like, by super powerful anesthetics, which also has some major downsides. Yeah. And that, that's very dangerous too. That's, a, could, that's yeah. an aspect that people don't talk about. Yeah. <laughs> it's, not like you're, it's not like you're jaunting down to the grocery store to get like your milk. Like, yeah, that's a real medical procedure to like get knocked out that hard. It, like it's, it's no good. And it's expensive as fuck too. Like <laughs> anesthesiologists fucking make a shit ton of money and oh, they do yeah. and they make a shit ton of money because if they're off by like a fraction of a percent on what your dose is, you're sleep forever. You know, that that's a whole whole, whole other aspect to it. So you would need to reserve this tech essentially for those giant leaps i guess yeah i mean it just well, wouldn't make sense for the anesthesiast lo- lobby just became a lot more powerful in this <laughs> right. that's, that's for sure i keep thinking yeah. about how like however many years ago it was maybe like 15 they were like we're going to be announcing this new product and it is going to revolutionize the way that cities are built and transportation is accomplished and everyone was like what the fuck is this going to be and then it was the segue do you yeah, remember that? The most <laughs> like, overplayed PR announcement of yeah, all time. Like, what are you talking? It's a motherfucking scooter. You invented a scooter. <laughs> a really expensive one that can, like, tip you, over and shit. You will never be a tourist on a beach the same way ever again. <laughs> <laughs> and literally nothing else. Yeah. I, so I'm imagining, like, I, I don't know. I'm thinking about that in relation to this because of what, a, what absolute havoc uh, teleportation technology would wreck on everything that would actually justify a press release like that. But yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, it does. He, he, that is like one of the brilliant parts of it is he like talks about it in our, like the relationship of our addiction to oil and like, right. right, right. He's mm-hmm. like, oh, it solves the energy crisis, but also, uh, you know, kids are clawing their eyes out. So it's a trade off. It's all yeah. a trade off. Yeah, you can't make an omelet without breaking a few yeah, eggs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, come on. We all get on airplanes, and you know, we know some of them crash. And, <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah, it's a risk we take. You got to yeah. be realistic about this, folks. It's a social <laughs> Nothing, contract. Nothing's perfect. Sometimes you're going to get some clawed out eyes in the process. Might be your kids. I don't know. And and you know, hot take. Ricky brought that shit on himself. He's the one who That's held true. his breath. Fucking Ricky. that that little shit. He knew the the risks. He thought like I can handle it. Obviously, he didn't. That's the shit I would do as a kid. That's that's exactly the kind of shit I would do as a kid. (laughs) I remember very specifically, like being at a restaurant with my parents when I was, I couldn't have been more than like five or six years old, you know? And uh, like, I I had like a Coke or something at the table. And uh, 
I pulled out a from the sugar caddy. I pulled out a packet of sugar and said to my dad, what if I what if I put the sugar in the Coke? And he was like, don't do that. <laughs> and I was like, well, why not? And he said, don't do it. It already has enough sugar. And I was like, like maintaining eye contact, like opening the sugar packet. And he's like, don't do it. And he was like, you're going to get spanked when we get home. If you put that in there and I dumped it in the fucking Coke, just like, <laughs> so yeah, I think I would probably be like, Oh, don't hold my breath. Yeah. We'll see old man. We'll see. Did you, did you, did you like mildly scratch at your own eyes after you dumped the sugar in the Coke? Was there any, no. any negative? No, but I did get spanked. I got my ass spanked when I got home. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Classic just, Ricky move right yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. Indeed. <laughs> Don't be like Ricky is what we're Don't saying, like kids. Ricky. Yeah. Yeah. No one Don't likes a Ricky. Or, or young Wamplers with their sugar and their, their Coca-Colas. Well, I think, uh, I think we're about out of things to say about the jaunt. But um, no. Peter, tell, tell the people, uh, we're, we're airing this the week of release. Um, so how can they see it? This is in theaters and on, what's, what's the rollout on this? No, one? This, is, uh, this is exclusively in theaters. It's nice. only available in theaters. So head on down to the multiplex and strap yourself in and prepare for a really fun time at the movies. Who's your, uh, um, who's the studio? Uh, this is a Sony release, right but the, the movie was, uh, completely made by legendary, um, mm-hmm. who, ent- who entered into a distribution deal with Sony not long ago. So legendary is really responsible for this madness as well as my, uh, my next movie as well. Well, we're looking forward to seeing it. And we're also looking forward to seeing um, this next movie you're working on, which sounds very weird. Uh, is, Animal Friends. Weird. Am I right? Animal Animal Friends is the name. Yes, it is a, uh, a truly insane movie that I every day I work on. it. cannot believe it exists, but uh, I'm very grateful that it does because it's an amazing movie. Why don't uh, maybe maybe tell the people at home um, who is in this movie and. Uh, the, the particular roles they might be playing in it. Yeah. So this movie is, uh, it's, it's a live action film with human cast, normal, you know, live action film, but there are animated animals also in the film. I, I don't think I can say who's playing what, but I will tell you okay. that it, it stars uh, Ryan Reynolds, uh, Jason Momoa, uh, Aubrey Plaza and Vince Vaughn. And it's, it's R rated. Wild good time. It's R rated. It's, um, it's got big action and a ton of fun comedy and also uh, just a, a ton of heart too. It's really right. a movie about friendship um, between all kinds of different creatures. Of of those four cast members that you just mentioned, who would come out of the jaunt the best if they were awake? Like who could survive oh, the wow. jaunt? Momoa. <laughs> Definitely Momoa. It's Definitely. just a gift of him, of him uh, throwing Mo- that, that, that fold-out chair down. Momoa would, like, like find you. a way to pass the time. He would probably, like, manage to find motorcycle parts in <laughs> jaunt space. And he would, like, come out with, like, a fully rebuilt, like, classic Indian motorcycle that he somehow managed to cobble together. And then he would just ride around for eternity and be happy. Good answer. Perfect. Well, thank you so much for joining us in bringing us one of our favorite titles uh, to discuss. Like, uh, uh, it's somewhat traumatizing, but it's always wonderful to revisit this this story. Thank you, guys. I I had a blast. Appreciate it.
Many thanks to Peter Atencio for joining us. It's always a good time to talk about the jaunt and uh, talk yeah. with somebody who's had his uh, little pinky toe dipped into so many of our favorite things from the last 15 years. Yes, um, and um, you may have noticed <laughs> that Peter Atencio is not David Desmalchin, mm. who was originally scheduled. We announced that this morning. Our timing was off. We fucked up, basically. We double booked. And didn't catch that until just now while we were recording uh, the wraparounds for this particular episode. So uh, those of you who are wondering where the Das Malchin episode is, it's it'll be a long it'll be a long in time for Boogeyman, but not this week. So sit tight on that and go check out the machine in theaters this weekend. And sorry for the confusion, Peter. Yes. Yeah, it uh, it happens sometimes. You know, what can we say? We're just so damn popular that we we're just we we can't turn yeah, away all these guests that want to be on the show. You know, it, it's definitely not that we're both idiots that fucked up the schedule. It's definitely never. Not that. No, 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 never. No, we're just it's, trying to accommodate everybody who wants a little piece of the King Cast, baby. They want that. Yes. King Cast bump. Um, and speaking of, we do have a boogeyman themed episode next week. Uh, but it's not with Des Mulchin. He will be along the week after that. It is with somebody else involved with that production. And uh, their chosen title is Night Shift, which is, of course, the short story collection, which uh, features the Boogeyman. So we'll be talking about the entirety of the collection, probably with a little bit of a focus on on uh, Boogeyman as well, mm-hmm. with somebody who uh, is involved. Do we just do or we just want to say yeah, who it is? Yeah, just tell them. Just yeah. tell them. All right, so we're going to have Rob Savage, the director of The Boogeyman, on next week to talk about, you know, the adaptation process, all that fun stuff. And uh, yeah, I can't wait to to talk with that guy. We don't record with him until uh, a a little bit later on. I think it's next next Monday that we record with him. So uh, don't know how that's going to go. But by all accounts, he knows his shit and big Stephen King nerd and Des Malchin uh said nothing but nice things about him so can't wait to chat with that guy pick his brain about stephen king shit absolutely and what's happening on the patreon oh yes on the patreon this friday uh we are doing another king cast commentary those of you in the gunslinger tier over there have that to look forward to um you'll recall that some months ago we recorded an um a, a different commentary for the first half of the it miniseries with Brandon Crane, who played um, Ben Hanscom in the miniseries. Uh, he has returned to finish it off with us. So now we've got a complete end to end commentary for, for both halves of it. Uh, they're separate, but you know, now, now we've got the whole thing covered and um, you know, he is a, uh, he is a delight just as he was during his last couple appearances on the show. So um, look forward to that. Hell yeah. And uh, if you want to sign up and listen to that shit, all you got to do is head on over to patreon.com slash the king cast. Uh, the commentaries are all for our top tier, the $10 a month gunslinger tier. Uh, so if you want the commentaries, you'll have to get in at that level. That's a little bit too rich for your blood. We also have a $6 tier, which gives you access to damn near everything else on the on the Patreon, including a Discord, including uh, all the episodes that we've recorded uh, that are not commentaries. So, uh, yeah. So go do that. We, we love uh, having new patrons. Patrons? Patrons. 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 Yes. Patrons. Patreons. Yeah, come stop by. 
there's all t- all kinds of fun shit for there over there for you to listen to. Hell yeah! And I think that does it for this week. That does do it for this week. Scott, it needs to get back into Zelda, and I need to get to editing. So we're gonna <laughs> cut it off. Yeah, we'll see y'all next week for some night shift talk in the main feed, and this uh, Friday, uh, come and listen to our our commentary with Brandon Crane for night two of it, the miniseries. See you then, folks. The KingCast is a Fangoria podcast production. The show is produced, hosted, and created by Eric Vespi, that's me, and Scott Wampler. Tira Ansley and Abby Goel are executive producers. Daniel Danger is our art director. And editing is done by yours truly. 